Mark chapter 1, verses 35 to 39. Give ear to the reading of God's holy and inerrant word. Mark writes, And rising very early in the morning, while it was still dark, he departed and went out to a desolate place, and there he prayed. And Simon and those who were with him searched for him, and they found him and said to him, Everyone is looking for you. And he said to them, Let us go on to the next towns, that I may preach there also, for that is why I came out. And he went throughout all Galilee, preaching in their synagogues and casting out demons. This then is a reading of God's word. You may be seated. The grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of our God stands forever. Well, this little passage uh, in, in Mark's gospel in chapter 1 here, in, in a lot of ways, it reveals to us and reminds us of the priorities of Jesus himself. The things that he held as, as top priority. And in doing that, in, in showing us the priorities of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, Mark shows us really what our priorities should be as his people as well, doesn't it? If we're following Christ, if we're emulating his example or trying to do that, if we are sincerely seeking to do his will and observe everything that he has commanded as we should, then his priorities should be our priorities. Whatever Jesus held as a priority should be something that we as his people should hold as our priorities as well. So if a passage of scripture, as ours does this morning, if a passage serves to reveal to us what his priorities were in some way and still are, then we would do well to take a good long look in the mirror at ourselves to see if our priorities are reflecting his priorities. If they do, we should be all the more assured and confident that we're on the right track, so to speak. And if they don't, then it should be, it should be a clear uh, indication to us that reformation and repentance are needed in some way, shape, or form. Well, our passage here this morning doesn't tell us everything, right? No passage really does. It doesn't tell us everything that we need to know about the priorities of our Savior. Uh, But I think it does clearly show us at least two things that were at the top of his list, so to speak. The first of his priorities that our passage tells us of in no uncertain terms is that of prayer. We're going to see that in the first few verses Here we see the Lord Jesus Christ carving out time and space for prayer, for communion with his Father and ours. The second of those priorities uh, we see in our text is that of preaching, that of preaching the word of God. In verse 38, Jesus goes so far as to tell his disciples and now us as well that in a sense, preaching is the reason he came. It was priority number one in many ways. It was a vital part, a central part of his earthly ministry. And that continues today as well. So let's look at these two priorities and see what the scriptures have to tell us about them. The first one is that of prayer. In verse 35, Mark tells us this, And rising very early in the morning, while it was still dark, he departed and went out to a desolate place, and there he prayed. Total coincidence that happens to be on the day of the time change when it talks about early in the morning uh, getting up. I didn't pick this on that uh, regard, on that that reason. Um, 
But Jesus, think about this. Um, Jesus did not have time to pray. He did not have time to pray. He made time to pray. He made time to pray. It took him getting up early and getting on the move early, very early, while it was still dark, Mark says. How early do you think that might have been? We don't really know. Um, But do you think that Jesus wasn't tired? I'm pretty tired this morning. You probably are too. One hour less sleep is, uh, is no small thing for any of us. But how tired do you think he might have been? If you keep in mind the context of what we just read in previous Sundays in, in chapter 1, what does it tell us? He had been up very late that evening before that, hard at work, healing many who had diseases, casting out many people's demons. We're back in verses 32 to 34. Mark tells us that the townspeople, when did they start to bring the sick people to him. They didn't start till it was evening. That evening it says, verse 32, at sundown. Why? Because it was the Sabbath. So, it, you know, remember Mark says the whole town was at the door. The whole city was at the door. That's a lot of people to heal. And they didn't start till it got dark. Who knows how long Jesus was there healing people and casting out demons, and yet still, what does he do in our text in verse 35? Very early in the morning, while it was still dark, he got up and went out to pray. He was almost certainly exhausted, to say the least. And yet he got up early in the morning to spend time with his father in prayer. How convicting this should be to most of us. It's certainly convicting to me personally. You know, I pray, right? Uh, I better pray I'm a pastor. Not only that I'm a Christian, I pray and I hope that you do the same. But all too often, I don't know about you, but I let busyness get in the way. I let busyness crowd out spending extensive time in prayer. Was Jesus not busy? Was Jesus not very, very busy? Remember John's go- or Mark's gospel, rather, is a, is a gospel of action. Jesus is always on the move, so to speak, in the Gospel of Mark, and yet Jesus carved out time to pray. He made time for prayer. It was that important to him. It was that vital to the work he came to do. We shouldn't disconnect the one from the other. He had so much to do. His ministry was dependent on prayer to his Father. And Jesus didn't just make time for prayer, did he? As hard as that might be for some of us, He carved out space for it as well. He didn't just get up very early, but where did he go? He went out to a desolate place, verse 35, Mark says. Now, the Greek word there for desolate is actually the same word translated wilderness earlier in the passage three or four times. So it's it's one of those recurring themes coming up in chapter 1. The place of wilderness or desolation isn't always a bad place. It isn't always a place of baptism or temptation or whatnot. It's a place where he could be alone in prayer with his father. Now, was this time of prayer, this extended early uh, time alone with prayer, was it an isolated event in the life of Christ? Does Mark just kind of throw it in there? Because we need to know that, hey, once in a blue moon, Jesus prayed. Is that, is that what he's telling us? No, no. Uh, this time in prayer for Christ was not a blip on the radar screen in the life of Christ. Uh, Jesus, if you read your Gospels, was the man of prayer. He was the man of prayer. It characterized his entire life 
Everything about his earthly ministry was characterized by prayer. J.C. Ryle, some of you know who that is, he writes this about this passage. He says, when he was baptized, Jesus, when he was baptized, we are told that he was praying, Luke 3, verse 21. When he was transfigured, we are told that as he prayed, the fashion of his face was altered, Luke 9, 29. Before he chose the twelve apostles, we are told that he continued all night in prayer to God. Luke 6, verse 12. When all men spoke well of him and would fain have made him a king, we are told that he went up into a mountain apart to pray. Matthew 14, 23. When tempted in the garden of Gethsemane, he said, Sit ye here while I pray. Mark 14, 32. In short... Our Lord prayed always and did not faint. Sinless as he was, he set us an example of diligent communion with his Father. His Godhead did not render him independent of the use of all means as a man. His very perfection was a perfection kept up through the exercise of prayer. Now that last couple sentences there, that's a whole other sermon. And I won't, I won't belabor that this morning, but I'll say this for food for thought. Um, we rightly emphasize the deity of Jesus Christ, the full deity of Christ, and we should. Uh, I think we often, those of us who are Bible-believing, conservative-minded Christians, confessional Christians, I think sometimes we do a disservice to his humanity, his true humanity. We undersell it. We almost ignore it. We think, oh, he didn't need anything. As a, as a man, as our, as our Savior, as the Messiah, he needed to pray to fulfill his ministry. He wasn't Superman, according to his humanity. He needed time with his Father in everything he did. And I think that's the point that Ryle is trying to point out to us there, if we have ears to hear. Any examination of the prayers and the prayer life of our Savior should prove to be very instructive for us. If, if prayer was a high priority for him, how much more should it be so for us? Or are we somehow greater than our master? No, we certainly aren't. Are we sufficient to resist the temptations of the evil one on our own? What does Jesus say? Watch and pray lest ye what? Enter into temptation. Do we think somehow that we are sufficient on our own to make disciples of all the nations? Or do we need to pray? Do we not need time in prayer at the throne of grace? Do we not need and want time with our Heavenly Father? Now verses 36 to 37 of our text, they serve to show us something of the reason why Jesus felt it necessary to go out to a desolate place to pray. There in those verses, Mark says, And Simon and those who were with him searched for him. And they found him and said to him, Everyone is looking for you. Now some commentators note that there was a hint of rebuke in their words. And I think that's right. They're basically saying, Where have you been? What are you doing way out here? Don't you know there's people looking for you? You know, you've got to strike while the iron's hot. You've got a big crowd. What are you thinking? The big crowd's right there. That's the most important thing, right? The big crowd. No, that's not, uh, that's not obviously right. Um, it's as if 
That's what they were saying. You know, why are you way out here? Now, we might be tempted to laugh at Peter and the others. We might be tempted to shake our heads at them. But how often, really, if we're honest, how often do we actually think similarly to what they are doing there? How often do we let the tyranny of the urgent, so to speak, crowd out our time in prayer? I do it all the time. Oh, you pray. Throw a quick prayer in there and then get to work because you've got so much to do rather than spending more time in prayer. And also, more than that, how often do we allow the crowds or even the desire for crowds to determine our course of action as churches? How often, uh, how many churches seem to make their decisions for all kinds of things based on what will or will not draw or keep a crowd? Nothing wrong with having a crowd. Every pastor likes a crowd, right? Nothing wrong with having a large church. And there's nothing necessarily more noble about having a small church, for that matter. But we must never allow the crowds or the desire for a crowd to set the tone or the direction for us as a church. We are not called to make crowds. We are called to make disciples. We are not called to success. We are called to faithfulness in ministry in Christ's name. The fact that the disciples needed to search for Jesus Christ and hunt him down, the word, for, the, the word there where it says they searched for him, it actually, that same word is often translated persecute. They were chasing after him. They were hunting him. That's kind of an, an ironic uh, word picture there. But the fact that they had to hunt for him the way that they did just goes to show us uh, how little they really knew of him at this point in their time with Christ. Where else would he be if not in prayer? They would learn that later on through things like this. So, you know, it's, it, there's a lot of irony in Mark chapter 1. And I think it's intentional. You know, the disciples are hunting after him. All the crowds, everyone. What does Peter and the rest say? Everyone is looking for you. Everyone's looking for Jesus. Are they really looking for him for the right reasons? Probably not. But it's still a picture of the crowds following after Christ, our Savior. And of course, prayer, and especially intercession, is really one of the chief aspects of Christ's ministry as our great high priest, isn't it? He didn't, the, the text in Mark shouldn't be taken as saying, you know, Jesus used to pray. He used to pray a lot. He still intercedes for us right now. Hebrews 7.25, it says that he, Jesus, is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through him. Why? Since he always lives to make intercession for them. Prayer is still an utmost priority for our faithful Savior, even now. Who is, uh, what is he doing right now at the right hand of God the Father? He's praying for us. What a comfort for us to know that he not only has prayed for us in the past. If you read John chapter 17, verses 20 to 21, he, he, he says he prays there for those who would believe in him as a result of the testimony of the apostles. That's us. That's everybody since their days. It's a comfort for us, or it should be, to know that he has prayed for us during his earthly ministry, but even more so, he's praying for you now. He still intercedes for you at the right hand of the Father even now. Well, that leads us to our second, our second point, and that's the priority of Christ in preaching, the priority of Christ in preaching. In verses 38 to 39, Mark says, And he said to them, Let us go on to the next towns 
that I may preach there also, for that is why I came out. And he went throughout all Galilee, preaching in their synagogues and casting out demons. You know, I wish they would have had a way to show us the look on their face when he said it. There's a huge crowd. Everyone's looking for you. And Jesus says, now let's go over there. Crowd's here. Let's go there. Let's go someplace else. I have other work to do. Look at how, prior, how high of a priority our Lord Jesus Christ made of preaching and evangelism here in our text. You know, the crowds in Capernaum were not the measure of his success. They weren't a bad thing, but they weren't the measure of his success. Nothing, not even success in ministry, could keep him from the work that he came to do. And what work was that? Preaching the gospel was a large part of that work. Not only accomplishing our salvation on the cross, but spreading the message of that salvation was a huge part of his work. Here we see in a way that preaching was, in a sense, the central mission of Jesus Christ in his earthly ministry. Again, what does he say there in verse 30? It's why he came. Preaching is why he came. He's not only the great high priest who intercedes and prays on our behalf over the house of God, but he's also our prophet. What are the offices of Christ as our redeemer, prophet, priest, and king? Well, here in our text we see at least two of them. He's our priest and he is our prophet. What does a prophet do? What did a prophet do in the Old Testament? Speak forth the word of God. Thus saith the Lord. He was a messenger for God to his people. Our shorter catechism gives us a helpful snapshot of Christ's ministry as prophet. Question 34, or 24 rather says, How does Christ execute or carry out his office of, of a prophet? It says Christ executes the office of a prophet in revealing to us by his word, and spirit, the will of God for our salvation. Did you notice something about that phrasing in the catechism? It doesn't speak of it in the past tense, does it? It speaks of it in the present tense. It doesn't say Christ used to carry out the office of a prophet. It says he's doing it now. It's present tense. He is still, even now, revealing to us by his word and spirit the will of God for our salvation. He's still right now at the right hand of God the Father ministering to his people as prophet. And how does he do that? Seems kind of hard to do, doesn't it? If he's not here, if he's at the right hand of God the Father, how is he preaching? How is he ministering as a prophet? Have you ever heard Jesus preach? You would probably be here listening to me maybe, but you you haven't heard his voice audibly But what if I told you that you have heard Jesus preach? Many times you've heard Jesus preach. How is that? Through the power of the Holy Spirit working through the preaching of the Word of God. Every single time you hear the Scriptures truthfully preached on the Lord's Day, ultimately, who are you hearing preach? Not me. You're hearing the Lord Jesus Christ himself, who is making himself known through his Word by the work of his spirit through that word. If you think about it rightly, the so-called outward and ordinary means of grace really aren't so ordinary after all, are they? They don't seem like much outwardly. They really don't. But Christ himself is still acting as prophet to his people. How highly then should we esteem the ministry of the word of God even 
in our day. We should not settle for cults of personality in the church. We should not settle for entertainment in the church. But if you're hearing the clear teaching and preaching of Scripture from week to week, from Sunday to Sunday, no matter how plain and simple that preaching may be, you should rejoice at it. For Christ is in this way feeding and tending you as his sheep. That's how Christ does it. Christ is still your great shepherd. He's still your great high priest and prophet. And he works through the, pre- the simple preaching of his scriptures every Lord's Day. How central ought the ministry of the word of God to be in our churches? If you think about it that way. You know, various programs are nice. Nothing wrong with programs. Nothing wrong with bells and whistles. They're certainly often very helpful. But they must never become central to what we do as a church. The preaching of the word of God must be central in all that we do. Central in our worship. Central in our work. Central in our witness. You know, those two things that we're seeing in this text, those two priorities, prayer and preaching, I, I don't have the time to tell you how many church growth books I've read that barely make a mention of those two things. You would think, by the way, that many of us do ministry in, in different churches. Uh, the way they de- If there's anything they de-emphasize, it's those two things. That really shows how far we've fallen from the priorities our Savior has set for us. Not just prayer behind the scenes, prayer even in the service. We make no apologies for what sometimes might feel like long prayers. We're spending time in prayer together to our Heavenly Father And if we're not going to do that, we should just shut the doors. We don't make apologies for spending time, extended time, in the scriptures. If we're not going to do that, we might be drawing a crowd, but we're not doing ministry of any real sort. Prayer and preaching are essential to what we do in the life of a church. And notice in our text, Jesus was not just content to stay in Capernaum. You know, think about it. If if I were one of those people chasing after Christ back then, if I was next to Peter whispering in his ear, You know what I would have said? Humanly, I would have said, you can preach there. There's a big crowd there. You know, we've we've already got a big crowd. You want to preach? Preach. Preach here. We have a big crowd. Jesus wasn't content to do that. What did he say? He, He was determined to go to, quote, the next towns to preach there as well. Why did Jesus do that? Why didn't he just stick around Capernaum? Grow, grow his, his following there. Why did he go to all those different towns throughout Galilee? He did that because, as we saw earlier in this chapter, what did he tell the disciples? Follow me and I will make you to become what? Fishers of men. He's the fisher of men. He uses his disciples. He now uses his church to fish for men. But he was still fishing for men. And it's one of the things he was teaching them and making them to be by going to the other towns as well. He came to preach because he came to seek and to save the lost, Luke 19, verse 10. So, how earnest ought the church to be, and we as the church to be, in the the work of evangelism and church planting and missions? Preaching is a part of that, and that is a part of of preaching. The gospel must go out in our town here in Ramona, and it must also continue to go out to the next towns as well. May the Lord Jesus Christ be pleased to work in and through us as a church 
to reach out not just to our town, although to do that, but also to the next towns as well. And Mark, you know, think about it again. Mark's gospel is, is a gospel of action. Everything is immediately this, immediately that. He's moving everything along. And that very fact should serve to emphasize these two things. When you think of action, you don't think of prayer, I'm guessing. When you think of action, you probably don't think of preaching. And yet Mark takes the time to point these two things out, to tell us that these should be our priorities as well. We know from the book of Acts that the disciples eventually caught on, that prayer and preaching became their priorities as well. Acts chapter 6, verses 1 through 7 We'll close with this. It says there, Luke says, Now in these days, when the disciples were increasing in number, a complaint by the Hellenists arose against the Hebrews. That's the the Greek Christians. Arose against the Hebrews because their widows were being neglected in the daily distribution. And the twelve, the apostles, summoned the full number of the disciples and said, It is not right that we should give up preaching the word of God to serve tables. Therefore, Therefore, brothers, pick out from among you seven men of good repute, full of the spirit and of wisdom, whom we will appoint to this duty. Here it is. But we will devote ourselves to what? To prayer and the ministry of the word. It's the purpose for the diaconate. To free up the apostles, the ministers now, for prayer and the word. Same two things mentioned here in our text in Mark. And it says... And what they had said pleased the whole gathering. And they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit, and Philip, and uh, Prochorus, and uh, Nicanor, and Timon, and Parmenas, and Nicholas, a proselyte of Antioch. These they set before the apostles, and they prayed and laid their hands on them. And then what's the result? And the word of God continued to increase. And the number of the disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem, and a great many of the priests became obedient to the faith. What did the apostles devote themselves to? Prayer and the ministry of the word, verse 4. And again, what was the result? What was, what was it that the risen and ascended Lord Jesus Christ was pleased to do through his church on account of that? It says, the word of God continued to increase And the number of disciples multiplied greatly. That's the way the growth of a church should be described. Those two things. The word of God increased and the number of the what? The disciples multiplied greatly. That's ministry. That's gospel ministry. That's Jesus building his church and the gates of hell being helpless to stand against it. May the Lord Jesus Christ grant that you and I, that we too as a church might be devoted to prayer and devoted to preaching as well. And may his word increase here in Ramona and may the number of disciples multiply here greatly as well. Let's let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that uh, Christ showed uh, such an example for us that he not only lived uh, to save us and died to save us and rose again for our justification but he also shows us how he wants his people and his church, moreover, to live and to serve. We ask that you would forgive us for the ways that we have not been devoted to prayer and the word. Uh, we, we are weak and we come to you. We ask that you would work in us by your spirit. Change us. 
Transform us by the renewing of our minds that we might more and more be devoted as a people to prayer, even if we have to get up early in the morning to do it, and that we might be devoted more and more to the preaching of your word and that we might esteem it the way that Christ would have us to look up to it and be thankful for it. And we ask that you would use us as a church and use our our fellow churches in town here as well as witnesses that your word might increase and that the number of disciples here in Ramona might be multiplied greatly for the glory of the name of Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen.